Morning, everyone. I must be honest, I'm glad that cake got moved because I think that would have been a distraction for, uh, for me. I'd be salivating all the way through my talk. So, yeah, this is the third of five talks that we're doing. Uh, as a church, we're looking at evangelism at the moment. As, as we've said, the importance of bringing good news of great joy to all people. And just by way of, uh, by way of recap, in the first week, I, I attempted to look at the bigger picture. It was quite, quite a hard task, really. But we looked at the golden seam of God's heart for all people through his word, the Bible. We prayed into the joy of our salvation. And then at the community group, we created the opportunity for you to remind yourself of your own unique and miraculous journey. Uh, journey, that journey to faith, to grace, to hope. And I've heard some really encouraging stories from community groups, which has been great. And then last week, Lucy spoke to us about the why. Why, why we do this? She said, we are a light. We are, we're a light. A light for others, a light for the world. And we, we cannot hide it. We shouldn't hide it. Today, I'm going to be talking about why we can struggle to do this. I'm going to be quite open with you. I'm going to speak about my experiences. Uh, and there's going to be some challenge this morning. But hopefully we're going to land in a, an encouraging place to remind ourselves, well, it, it's worth it. It's worth it. And if you're anything like me, there's probably one word that if we take it at its broadest meaning and its application means that we can struggle to evangelize at times. Speak to people about our faith, speak to our family, maybe even complete strangers. And that word for me is fear. And we need to be aware that we are taking, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, a message, the message that can sometimes offend as well as bless. Have you ever come across that? We need to know that the word of the cross will appear foolish to those who do not yet know the depth and the danger of their sin. And you know, Matt just brought that to us this morning, which I thought was really interesting and relevant. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we know that our hearts, my heart, your heart, the human heart, can rage and rebel against God. So we need to be honest. Let's be honest that people might shout at us, or worse, when we share the gospel with them. But let's remind ourselves it's worth it. We are told to do it. We should want to do it. And it should be from a position of awe, obedience, gratitude, and joy. And in the context of today, fear is going to stand for several things. I've gone mnemonic crazy today, as you'll see. Um, but most of my experiences have some kind of root in fear. All of these I've experienced. And so we're going to start with some reasons why I think we struggle. And number one is that we forget evangelism and run. We can forget evangelism and run. And we can run hard at all sorts of things, apart from evangelism at times. If you're anything like me, we can forget evangelism and run. Some of us struggle to evangelize because we've filled our lives to the brim. Work, hobbies, holidays, Netflix series. You know, life is busy, but do you know what? I've seen this, and I've, I've been there. It comes as a badge of honor, doesn't it? Oh, I'm so busy. I hear myself saying it, oh, I've just been so busy. There are many things 
that take our attention. My point here, and listen carefully to this, my point here is not to diminish the effort you put into your job, your family. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think it's wrong for you to take part in things that provide valuable rest, that energize you, because that's really important too. But I want to ask whether we are packing our lives so full to the point that we can't pursue important biblical priorities. Prioritizing that allows time for important disciplines like reading the Bible, praying, ministry, evangelism. We need to be careful that we don't allow our obligations and activities to crowd out biblical priorities, such as sharing the gospel. We also need to be aware of the tendency which we can have, and again I've done this, the tendency to overschedule in order to avoid important biblical disciplines. Running away. I've been there before. When we begin to recognize the Bible's clear calling to share Christ with others, we can be tempted to avoid this rather tough assignment by filling our lives with alternatives so that we have an apparent excuse not to evangelize. And again, many of, not of all of the things that we might be pursuing may be good things in, in, in themselves, but if they are slotted into our schedule in order to keep evangelism from finding a place, we have potentially fallen into a spiritually precarious pattern. And this is going to be different for all of us. It's going to be different for all of us. I taught at a school, um, an independent boarding school, for 11 years. And I absolutely loved it. But the fact was, that place of work became an idol. It took me quite long to realize it, but it was. You know, I had little time to do anything, really, but things related to that school. You, know, you can ask Mez about that if you'd like. She'll give you a very honest uh, opinion of things. And I find, my, I find myself living for holidays. And during the term time, I was running towards the, the buzz of busyness because I, I enjoyed it. But then I was getting so tired. And then I needed the earthly enjoyments of things like holiday. That needed to happen so I could run again next term. You know, one of the questions that I asked, and I asked this gently at the end of my last talk two weeks ago, was, was, to, was to ask, are, you, are we wasting time? Another question I would ask is, are you running so hard that you have tunnel vision? Are you running so hard you have tunnel vision? And if that's you and us, it can lead us to the next one. So if you're running so hard, you can be prone to, to this. We can forget evangelism, relax. If you're so busy, if life is so busy, the way that you get home and all you want to do is, 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 is that, is relax. Again, that's something that we need to be careful of. If life is so busy that when the day ends, all we want to do is was actually nothing, then again, that's fairly precarious. Do you know, I get annoyed with myself about this. I'm currently gently going through all of the Seinfeld series on Netflix. Seinfeld because I think laughter is important. Seinfeld because it's 20 minutes long. And so I set myself, right, two episodes a week, Jack. Two episodes a week. Two lots of 20 minutes. And do you know what? I, I find myself sometimes, oh, I'm so tired. One turns into two. Two turns into three. And I think, oh, duh. Waste of time here. There are so many other edifying things I could be doing. And you know, I know people my age, I do, maybe you do as well, who I find in conversation with them that they're, they're basically already planning their retirement. The ultimate goal of relaxation. A fortnight ago, we read from Genesis 12. I just want to remind us of Genesis 12. Um, because I think this is interesting. This is the bit, and I'll just read it to you. When the Lord said to Abraham, 
Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. God promised great things to Abraham, but, but sacrifices had to be made. Abraham needed to be obedient. He actually needed to leave a, a very secure and comfortable home. His home actually was a constant temptation to him. It was a place of relaxation. It was a place of, of pleasure. But he could not continue among them. He could not continue really among his friends and family without the danger of being dulled and blunted. And God needed him to be sharp and ready. And I think he asked the same of us. He needs us to be ready. We go to the New Testament and it, we look at the likes of Paul. Paul doesn't seem to relax too much in the context in which he finds himself. I was reading uh, Acts, and Acts 17 verse 16 is, is when Paul is walking through Athens, and it says this, Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. We see Paul's inability to stay, to stay silent at the world and the culture around him. He doesn't relax into it. And I suppose the question is, do you? Do we? Number three, we can forget evangelism and avoid relationships or maybe avoid repercussions. We could say that as well. You know, many of us like to be liked. And some of us, we love to be loved. You know, we all feel that dopamine hit, that adrenaline rush when we're affirmed, when we're approved, when we're admired. And I think this can lead us to gently avoid questions of faith, especially with friends with whom we just don't want to rock the boat. And for some of us, this might mean that we avoid non-Christian friendships. Some of us, perhaps, out of a fear of falling into to worldliness, might isolate ourselves, insulate our lives with an impenetrable wall of Christians that we don't feel the discomfort. The discomfort of, uh, of discussing spiritual things for those who don't yet know Christ. Two weeks ago, again, I asked the question, do you have any friends who aren't Christians? Do you have any friends who aren't Christians? And at times in my life, that, that's been me. And it's quite difficult, actually, because as a father of three who's really quite connected into the church, natural places to meet new people has, has lessened. It's quite, it's quite difficult. And so I've, I've had to be intentional to create opportunities to meet new people. You know, I've often piggybacked on Mez's friends and, 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 and you know, the, the partners, the husbands of them. People at cricket on a, on a Friday night. You know, having some great conversations with, with, with those people as the girls um, play cricket. But, you know, there can always be friends for a reason and a season. I believe that. Do you know, I was reminded of those chicken pox parties that people sometimes have. Has anyone ever had one of those? There you go. Thanks, Neil. Do you know, because we have those things because we, we know it's a lot better for, chicken, uh, for kids to get chicken pox when they are younger. But it's the idea that you, you go and you, and you kind of get the children to get really close, don't you? They, they're in close proximity. But if, if we don't have friends who we can rub up against, who aren't Christians, then it's unlikely that you're ever going to be able to tell your story. And let's not forget your story has the power to be infectious and contagious in all the right ways. And, you know, linked to this, I don't know what it's like for you at work, but my, my workplace, not this one, by the way, my other workplace, uh, it seems to be gently obsessed with personality tests. Introverts, extroverts. Here's your label. Now wear it and behave accordingly because you're an introvert and that's what you do. Is that just me? And 
it's obviously a simple fact that some of it, we're, we're all different. It's a wonderful thing. Some of us are more outgoing. Some of us like to keep to ourselves. Some of us re-energize differently. And that's great. The world and the church need all sorts of people. But my challenge here, and this is a broad statement, this is a broad statement, I don't think we can allow our personalities to become an excuse for why we don't engage people with the gospel. And for some of us, it might take a little bit more effort to develop relationships. Some of us may need to, to rein in our enthusiasm. I can sometimes rush people and lack patience. That's something I've done before. But again, let's not forget the power of your story. We all have a light, as Lucy told us last week. So let's step out in faith. Let's ask Christ for help. And for the glory of God, let's overcome maybe our tendencies to avoid what it is that you might do or perhaps not do. Number four, we can forget evangelism after rejection. Do you know, if you're anything like me, you fear failure. You fear rejection. Um, for me, there can at times, again, I'm being very honest with you here, there can at times for me, unless I root and establish things, my life, my interactions in prayer and in the spirit, there can be a toxic mix. There's a toxic mix of competitiveness, which I've had since a toddler, unfortunately, which can lead to self-reliance. I sometimes step into the individualism of our culture, the desire to control my own life, and all that leads to, or can lead to, if I'm not careful, it can lead me to take failure or rejection very badly. I have a friendship group I'm from school, actually, at university, there's eight of us, and quite remarkable, for, particularly for guys, that we're still in touch. There's eight of us. I'm the only Christian in that group, and it can be hard at times. I have been bruised. I have been bruised. I've, I've, I've had feelings that my words have failed. I've felt the pain of rejection, and actually, I have in the past got to a point with a few of them where I just wouldn't take the opportunity even when it did come along. But you know what? I've since held on to the words of Proverbs 29, 25, which says this. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I think this is a big one. As I was preparing this today, I felt this was a big one. I think some of us have been burned by this. And burns can take quite a long time to heal, can't they? So I want to encourage you. And actually, for some of you today, this might, most, might be the most important thing that you take away. And that is that we rely on God and not ourselves. I'm going to read a, some modern liturgy to you, which has really helped me when I've engaged with my feelings of failure, my fear of failure. And... It might be that you make this into a prayer. So if this is you and I'm speaking to you today, you just might want to close your eyes. It's entirely up to you. But these are powerful words, although they've been very powerful to me in the past. And it starts by asking a question, which is this. But how could such a fear ever be for my good or for the good of God's eternal kingdom? And here's the answer. Under the Spirit's instruction... Such fears might become messengers of grace, revealing to you only what was true all along. In yourself, you do not have the strength or the wisdom or the ability to accomplish the task to which you are called. 
apart from the Spirit of God breathing life into your incomplete and sin-tainted efforts, apart from the Father blessing and multiplying your inadequate offerings, apart from your Lord meeting you in your stumbling attempts at faithfulness, no good work will come to fruition. No achievement will endure. No lasting benefit will come of your labors. And so you must come repeatedly to the end of trust in your own strength, child, that you might help yourself again and again to his strength. Then let my fears of failure drive me, O Lord, to collapse here upon your strong shoulders and here to rest, reminded again that I and all of your children are always utterly dependent upon you to bring to completion in and through us the good works which you have prepared beforehand for us to do. It is not my own work that is before me now, but yours. Indeed, Christian, take heart in this revelation. The outcomes of your labors were never in your hands, but in God's. You have one task, and that is to be faithful. And for those of us, including myself, who have a deep longing for someone to know Jesus, it goes on. If your greatest good is to bear in fuller measure the image of your Lord, then might not his greatest and most holy good to you come cloaked in guise of defeat and dismay. And if that is your Lord's sacred intention, then who is to say how great a success even your failures might be when read properly at last in the chronicles of eternity? So relinquish now all vain attempts to solve the mystery of God's intent. You cannot think his thoughts. You cannot reckon his deep purposes. It is enough to know that all he does is done in love for you. You know, I've had struggles. I've had struggles with my friends, but I've, I've had struggles with my brothers. I've got three brothers, and I just find it so difficult to talk to them about faith. There's so much shared history between us. It can be hard, because I know, we know that, that, that following Jesus is the best and the right thing to do. If only they could see what I see, but they don't. Not yet. But you know, there have been encouragements as well. And my encouragement to you is to dwell on those when you're feeling low about stuff like this, because we are fickle, aren't we? Go back and remember what's been done. Prayers that have been answered. People you know who've come to faith. A couple of years ago, I got the courage just to blurt it out to one of my brothers. I said, so where are you at with your faith at the moment? And he looks at me and he just said, matter of fact, oh, it's interesting you asked that, Jack. Hercule Prowo has been reading me the Bible for the last two months. And of course, he was referring to David Suchet, who plays Hercule Prowo, who, who reads the Bible, doesn't he? And so, really, really encouraging, really encouraging. And Joel's on a journey. But, and now it just means that we can talk about faith stuff. They're looking to go to church where they live. But what do we do? do I do? What do you do? And I suppose what I feel resolved to do is to join the generations before me. Those generations who prayed earnestly for their children, their children's children. That list of friends and families that you may have written. Maybe you've put it somewhere and you've forgotten about it. Let me encourage you to go back to that list or maybe rewrite one. You know, the this side of eternity, there'll be things that we just don't know. 
but we pray earnestly in faith. So let's, let's not give up. And fifthly, moving on, forget evangelism, apathy reigns. Forget evangelism, apathy reigns. Do you know, this is something that I suspect we all feel at times. I think Satan loves this because it renders us ineffective. It weakens our relationship with God. And again, I felt this one keenly at times. And I've had to come back to Psalm 51.12. Do you remember? This, was, this is my prayer for us, this series. I've had to come back to this quite often. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. A teacher once asked a class, uh, he was teaching, what would you say was the Christian's number one sin? To which the class joker replied, apathy, but who cares? The old saying goes, many a true word spoken in jest. You know, some have argued that indifference, not hate, is the opposite of love. Indifference. We can talk a good game. I certainly can. We like the theory of mission. It's a nice theory. But in reality, do we sometimes leave it to those people who do that kind of thing? You know, those people that we read about, they've got their books. We read the book, we put it down. That was inspirational stuff. We put it away and then we kind of forget about it. That's what I've done anyway. Speaking of books, my book recommendation for today is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Love this book. It's relevant to today. This is a book where Lewis imagines a series of conversations, advice giving from a senior demon called Screwtape to his protege, his, his understudy, who's called Wormwood. And Wormwood is learning the devious, the subtle, the simple ways of bringing people away from Christ and the church. And at one point in the book, Screwtape simply says this to Wormwood. He says, your job, my dear Wormwood, is to provide me with people who do not care. Indifference can have a huge impact. And do you know what, for me, for me that looks like this. It looks like my heart just drifting into coldness towards the undeserving. The people that I think, oh, what's the point in even trying? They're so far away from this. And I make assumptions, and I, I don't trust. And for me, my most common prayer, because I know myself well enough, is that God would enable me to love people better. That is what I pray every morning. Help me love people better. Because I struggle. And this is so important because we know that all of this needs, all of this series needs to come out of a heart of love, doesn't it? This needs to come out of a heart of love. Again, a fortnight ago, I expressed the importance of serving God and evangelizing for several reasons. But I emphasize that one of the reasons we do this is because of the unique worthiness of who God is. How God is, is utterly holy. We can't fathom it. He is absolutely above and beyond us. He is love. He's perfect in every way, including his perfect judgment. And you know what? Something that, that I think is important to bring today, which I bring, 
I want to bring sensitively and, and tactfully, and forgive me if I don't quite get this right, but the fear of the Lord has been on my heart this week. You know, we've talked about fear of people today, haven't we? And I want to reclaim the fear of the Lord as a right and holy and proper discipline and heart posture. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 to 11 says this. And these are sobering words. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whilst in the church, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. I wonder what those verses make you think or feel. Before we go into it, I just want to remind us that God's grace is all sufficient. But the verse tells us there is accountability for our use of our time. There's accountability. We don't like to tie in fear with our relationship to God, do we? That's because most of us have negative associations with fear, spiders, heights. For me, it's clowns. They're like them. We might even fear our own earthly fathers or mothers. That might be the experience for some of you here. But you know what? The fear of the Lord is not like this. Psalm 1 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And for me, the fear of the Lord is one of the reasons why I must evangelize and why it's worth it. One of the distinguishing features of God's people, of God's community, should be our fear of God. To fear God is to revere him. It's to give him due respect and honor. It's the up, it's the vertical experience that I talked about a fortnight ago as to why we do church. It's that worshipful encounter that we have with God. Let me tell you this, the fear of the Lord shouldn't be about being scared of God. Fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed. Fear in the Bible means to be overwhelmed. To fear the Lord is to be overwhelmed with wonder before the greatness of God and his love. It means that we find him fearfully beautiful. I wonder if you've ever felt that. I have. And it usually ends up with me blubbing like a baby. It usually ends up with me on my knees. Or it usually ends up with me singing with a band at the top of my voice somewhere. That is why the more we experience God's grace and forgiveness, the more we experience then a trembling awe and wonder before the greatness of all that he is and all that he's done for us. And out of this, out of this comes joy and a heart that is postured towards telling others about him. And to me, that's, that's why it's worth it. Let's regularly remind ourselves of what it is through words and actions, words and deeds that we talked about a fortnight ago, those things that we convey within this beauty, within this awesomeness and glory of God, the golden seam of, our heart, of God's heart for the world. So let's do it now. Let's turn fear on its head. Let's remind ourselves of why it's worth it. Because number one, that's what God does. He forgives everyone and restores do we believe that? 
He forgives everyone and restores. I see the need for Christ's restoration everywhere I turn. Number two, freedom exists and redeems. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Thirdly, for eternity, a resurrection. Jesus defeated death. He offers a way to eternal life with him. And this links to something that's not very often preached on. We don't like to talk about it. I'm not talking about hell. It's a difficult topic. It's a difficult topic. And of all the reasons for why we evangelize, and we, we evangelize, we probably steer away from, from this reality the most. We steer away from this topic. And for time's sake, I'm actually not going to talk about it too much. But what I think we can agree on as believers, as Christians here, is that hell is fixed and final, whether it's forever or whether it's finite. It's a complete absence from the grace and the mercy of God. I think we can agree on that. It's an existence that we don't want people to have. But of course, Jesus mentions it several times. Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And these are hard words to take at times, aren't they? We just don't like it. Especially when we focus on a teddy bear version of Jesus, which we can do. But these words come from a very holy God. <laughs> and the Bible is a loving warning. We need to remind ourselves of that. Jesus gave loving warnings, and warnings are important. I remember once a holiday in Wales and going uh, for a swim on the Welsh coast. And my dad knew this beach, I didn't. And out came the competitive, overconfident boy who loves to swim in the sea. And my dad said, Jack, there's a riptide here. Just be careful. You probably shouldn't go swimming today. Ah, it'll be all right. Three minutes later, I was being smashed up against a harbour wall, blooded legs, blooded walls because of the barnacles. My dad had to come and rescue me. He said, I gave you a loving warning, son, but you chose to ignore me. Warnings are important. I wonder if you've heard of Penn and Teller. American magicians, famous magicians. Penn Gillette is the chap on the left. Really interesting quote here. He's an atheist. And he said this. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe that a truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. I'll leave you with that. But this is why it's worth it. I want to just talk to you a little bit about the, the, uh, the paralyzed man. That's been on my heart for us as well. And I'm coming into land here. 
We're going to just read from Mark 2. We probably have heard the story before, but let me just remind you. And it says this in Mark. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I just want to draw out a few things that I hope again will encourage us. Do you know, firstly, the friends have realized something. They've realized that the paralyzed man's only hope is Jesus. That's the realization, isn't it? And it's the same for us. It's the same for our friends and family. And it's worth it. So let's keep going. Let me encourage you to keep going. Let's be good and faithful servants. Let's encourage each other. Number two. Secondly, there were four friends. There were four friends. There wasn't just one. This wasn't a lone wolf. This was a team effort, and that team went to great lengths. I mean, they ripped, they ripped a roof open. So find others who will pray with you, cheer you on when times are hard. You know, Will, Ali, and I had the, the privilege of this just this week. There are some guys who have been doing the rendering on the building across the way, and they were just in a hard place. They're in a tough place. And Ali had done some great relational work with them. And they, they came in and they were receptive to prayer. And just as we see Paul discuss this in 1 Corinthians 3, Ali planted the seed. That was that common ground, the showing the care. We all watered in prayer. But it was clear that God, God had been making things grow in the hidden place of that man's heart who wanted prayer, who just came to his lowest point. And you know what? The Holy Spirit came and gave him peace. And this really brings me to the last point, which is the reaction makes it worth it, and it spurs us on. Can you imagine the scene in that house when that paralyzed man took up his mat and walked? And as we came out of the room downstairs, after praying for that man, <laughs> the excitement and the reaction to what had happened was clearly etched <laughs> on our faces. Because several people could just see it. This is, this is encouraging, isn't it? This encourages us. It, it, it's about st stepping out reminds us that it's worth it as well. That the Holy Spirit is wanting to encounter people. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I reach the end of my days, whenever that is, and I ponder the significance of my life, I strongly suspect that it'll be the kind of moments that Ali, Will and I experienced together and hopefully many more to come that will come to mind. To see lives turn towards Jesus and be reminded that God used me, us, his bride, in that moment for a time such as that. And we and others will be eternally grateful, eternally grateful. I found this quote by Tim Keller as I was preparing for the marriage course, and I felt it apt just to, again, Tell us why it's worth it, what we hold on to, what we have. And he says this, Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely. 
And if you fail him, we'll forgive you eternally. I love that. So you're asking, how do I start? Where do I start? How do I apply this? Just a three, couple of things for you to, I'm going to be doing this. You might choose to do this. I'll leave this with you. But number one, let's start with, let's start with prayer. I'm going to be praying for a heart of love for humankind, and I'm always going to be doing that. If you struggle with this, maybe that's where you start. Lord, give me love for these people. Do you need to pray into areas of your life that need prayer? We've talked about apathy. We've talked about prioritization. Are you running so hard at something that just is so peripheral now that it's almost gone? Pray that the Spirit would reveal what's going on in your heart. And lastly, I'm going to be praying that I, that we, walk in God's wake as he creates the waves. That we walk in God's wake as he creates the waves. We follow the leading of the Spirit. So those are my three prayers. Three application points. We need to start with prayer, guys. Um... I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. I'm just going to pray for us first, actually. Yeah, Father, we we lift. I lift these words to you, Father. If there's anything that's been too harsh, Lord, would you strip that away? I pray that, Spirit, would you laser in on those things that have been particularly important for, for each and every heart? As a church, Father, would we have such great love for those around us that we want to tell them about you and the love that we have and Father, I just pray that we become reliant on you. It feels like that's been the theme of today. Help us to trust, trust in you, trust and obey, for there's no other way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.